So I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 6 and 7, which I was given um, to preach from. I'm just going to pick out a few key things and then dig a bit deeper into that. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. And down to verse 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you're building. If you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Can't remember if I said we were going to read verse 70 or 15 or not, but I'll just keep going. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house and set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold. And he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary, he overlaid with gold. It's a bit of a weird reading, isn't it? I wonder if you have ever been on a guided tour of an historic building. A few years ago, a couple of my American friends that I worked alongside in Ethiopia came to visit me here in Ireland. And we did the tours of Belfast murals and Stormont. They loved it all. Our tour guide at Stormont was all out to impress with his account of the huge chandelier that came from Windsor Castle. With this and other details, he impressed my friends. These chapters in 1 Kings read like a guided tour, rattling off statistics and dates, pointing out interesting features and adding little anecdotes. Like a tour guide, our narrator is seeking to impress and overawe the reader by the grandeur and the glory of Solomon's buildings. This description could easily have been created from on-the-spot observation or from memory. Huge stones are covered in cedar, Cedar is covered in gold. Skilled carvings adorn every wall. Gold glitters from every surface. Bronze shines in sun or moonlight in the outer courtyard where sacrifices are offered. These chapters speak about construction, commandments, and commitment. The description of the temple in chapter 6 is placed within a time frame. The first verse says, Solomon began to build the temple 480 years after God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt and four years after Solomon had been crowned king. So about 960 years before the incarnation. 960 years before Christ the chapter ends by telling us that it took seven years to build the temple. Chapter 7, which we didn't read, begins by telling us that it took 13 years to build Solomon's palace. 
the palace is substantially larger than the temple, almost twice the size. I think I have a picture on there somewhere, have I? Is it not working? Oh, well, don't worry. Oh, there we go. You can see the temple's on the top and the palace is on the bottom. The temple is about the size of a church, 90 feet or 27 meters long and 30 feet or 9 meters wide. It was never meant to accommodate lots of people. The temple was a house for God. The people would have congregated in the outer courtyard. Verses 11 to 13, which I read, tell us that the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and not forsake my people. God will dwell with his people once the temple is built, but his dwelling with them will be on the same basis as before, the people's obedience to his law. God's statutes, rules, and commandments are absolutely authoritative and must be obeyed. God's statutes are permanently relevant for every time and place, so we should trust them to guide us. His rules and commandments are perfect wisdom, perfectly fitting our needs and our human nature. God knows what is best for us. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not steal. God's word is an expression of God's own character and nature. So knowing God's word, the Bible, is not just about laws and rules. It's about having a relationship with him. Knowing God's word enables us to seek him with all our heart and to have fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit. Our narrator sandwiches details of Solomon's palace between material on the temple's construction, perhaps to downplay its grandeur. There's a discreet criticism of Solomon's priorities given in the time frames, seven years, 13 years, and the comparative size of the temple and palace, twice the size of the temple. There is a hint that Solomon is not fully committed to God. These hints that Solomon is not fully committed to God made me think of the little hints in my own life that could be gathered as evidence that I'm not fully committed to following God. God really doesn't want just a little bit of us. He wants everything. The Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Again and again, the Bible, in the Bible, we read that Israel kept forgetting to love and obey God, and that God had to keep calling them back and reminding them. Remember, this is an Old Testament perspective. It's 960 years before Christ's incarnation. We need to beware of legalism where we seek to gain acceptance by God through obedience to God. None of us, not one of us, can add to the finished, complete work of Jesus on the cross. Salvation is by grace alone and by faith alone. Yet God's amazing grace calls us to participate in the process of sanctification, transformation 
of growing in holiness. Empowered by the Spirit and in fellowship with other believers, we study Scripture, pray, flee temptation, and pursue holiness. Chapter 6 and 7 are about construction, commandments, and commitment. But all of Scripture is about Christ. The word used in 1 Kings for this lifestyle that God wants us to adopt is walk. We are to walk in God's statutes and commandments. Ephesians 5 says, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Similarly, 1 John says, but if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The Christian life is a journey, a walk of obedience in response to all that God has done for us in Christ. But many of us today lack, don't like the idea of having to be obedient. We don't like submitting to authority. Instead, we challenge our leaders. We don't like to follow rules and regulations. Instead, we challenge the rules and push the boundaries. Life today for many is all about self-expression. My personal rights and needs and what works for me is of utmost importance. But this is a worldly perspective. It is not a biblical perspective. As David would say, this is the spirit of the age. It is not the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is saying here, we're not to fight for our rights. We're to walk with humility, gentleness, patience, unity, and peace. Solomon's temple had a huge altar. There might be a wee picture of that to come up. Sol Solomon's temple had a huge altar where priests would make sacrifices to atone for people's sin. Once a year, they would carry some of that blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood there on that smaller altar to atone for sin. In the New Testament, the temple image is filled with new meaning. For example, in Revelation, the presence of God and the Lamb take the place of the temple. There is none in the new heaven and the new earth. Also, temple is a metaphor for the saving act of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 says, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for copies of the heavenly things to be purified by these rites, those rites talked about in 1 Kings. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with human hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf nor was it to offer himself repeatedly since the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. 
for then Jesus would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Israel kept forgetting to obey God. So there was no guarantee that God would not forsake his people. However, God does make guarantees which do not involve structures, human institutions, or systems. God's guarantees involve the person and presence of Jesus Christ and the trustworthiness of God's own promises. Jesus promised, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to finish by digging a wee bit into that word dwell that was used in our text in 1 Kings 6. In scripture, it means to settle down, to abide with. In the New Testament, this very same word is used to express Christ coming to dwell with humans, with us. John 1.14 says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God himself took on flesh and dwelt with us as a human being. That same word is used to describe the Holy Spirit dwelling in his people. Ephesians 3 says that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in our hearts. This word is Shekinah, the glorious presence of the living God dwelling within believers. The glorious presence of God comes down, settles on us, abiding with us. I want that. What about you?